Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Advent is here, and uh, you're listening to the No Water Methodist Community Podcast, and I'm Jeffrey Rickman, the preacher here. I'm glad you've joined us. I'm glad you're going to listen to the podcast today. Um, Advent is the beginning of the Christian year. It's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and um, it's a time where we meditate on Christ's coming, His second coming. Uh, to bring his kingdom to earth, initiate a final judgment, followed by an eternity of peace, hopefully, that we're a part of. So um, we are rejoining the Revised Common Lectionary, which has four recommended readings, all pointing towards the reality of the final judgment and the coming kingdom. It's a sober season, and so I tried to give a sober message. I expanded out some of the readings that we're uh, kind of cutting out or ignoring a lot of the warnings that Scripture issues towards believers. A lot of people choose to forget or are not reminded by their pastors of how much is at stake and how serious this is. I'm not one of those pastors. Hopefully you're not one of those people. If you are, you're not going to enjoy this podcast because I'm trying to speak very plainly about what's coming and how we can live soberly and responsibly today. So if that's a message that interests you, then please listen, enjoy, pray, support. Um, And if it's not something that you enjoy, I just pray that God would change your heart because this stuff is all over the Bible. It's it's self-evidently important. Uh, Whatever is important to God needs to be important to us. So I hope you benefit from this time spent on our podcast, and I hope... uh, my prayer is that those of you who've been listening to this might be brought closer. Um, I never want this to have kind of like a, a calming effect where you feel like you're close enough to the church. The whole point of the church is to put people in relationship with each other. So if you are standing far back and not engaging the people here, but engaging the content, I need to be very clear with you that is not good. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's only good if if you're being brought closer to be in relationship with the people here. So I pray that God would continue to work on your heart and bring you close. Uh, and, and when that happens, you will see that I am right. The whole purpose of this faith is to draw us into connection with one another. All right, I'm going to stop talking. Uh, be blessed by today's message. Good morning. Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, which you can find on page 996 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. 
and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard <clears throat> shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Bobby. So this is a prophecy, as I said, from Isaiah. Could anyone tell who it was about? Jesus. Um, in order to understand the fullness of this prophecy, there was a name that came up twice in this reading, Jesse, someone other su than Susanna. Who can tell me who Jesse was? Very good. We got a couple people who knew it's the father of David. So it says, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Uh, down below it said, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand as an ensign of the people. Um, the notion here is... If you've read your Bible, Jesse was the father of David, who was, of course, uh, king of Israel. And the Lord loved him so much that he made an everlasting covenant with him that one of his descendants would always be on the throne of Israel. And for a time, this promise was maintained through Solomon and Rehoboam and all the way down. But the problem was, over time, his, his descendants forsook the Lord. They turned from his ways. They worshipped idols. They drew alliances with foreign nations that they shouldn't have. Eventually, they were so disrespectful to their covenant with God that he gave them over and allowed them to be overrun by the uh, Babylonians, who then put them in exile across their empire. And Isaiah was a prophet who ministered to them before they came back and were allowed to build their temple. And he said, this, this, this family tree that was cut off, the, uh, Jesse had a family tree that was ruling over Israel for, for a long time. Pretend it was cut off. It's now a, a stump. And out of that stump is growing new growth. He's saying this line that we thought was ended is going to spread again, is going to spring again. And Jesus, if you've read the Gospels, you know he is a descendant of King David. So that prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus already. Now this also describes... What kind of ruler King Jesus is going to be? It says the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Well, we've already got that in the Gospels whenever he is baptized. Well, in Luke, it says that he is uh, made in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. But then when he's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes out of the heavenly realms and rests upon him. Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Well, what's that spirit like? It's a spirit of wisdom and understanding. It's a spirit of counsel and might a spirit of knowledge, and fear of the Lord. A lot of people look at fear of the Lord like it's a bad thing. If Jesus himself has a fear of the Lord, is that a bad or a good thing? Good. There's nothing bad about Jesus at all. If it's about Jesus, it's good. If you have a fear of the Lord, that makes you like Jesus. 
Now, we're, we're talking about a, a godly, righteous fear that is a good... Fear is... I've preached this before. We associate certain things, negative emotions. Fear, shame, guilt. We, we go through life not wanting any of these. Those are God-given feelings that are made to motivate us to do the right thing. Fear of the Lord and love of the Lord couple together to make us who we ought to be. It's carrot and stick. Both are important. Jesus had a fear of the Lord, so should we. The larger thing is, should we be like Jesus? Should Christians, named after Christ, live and die like Christ? What do you think? I kind of framed that in an obvious way, but there are a lot of people today who say, who believe that Jesus lived and died the way he did so that I can live and die how I want. It's often called prosperity gospel. God wants health, wealth, and prosperity for you, right? Was Jesus healthy? Well, one who died on a cross at 33 is not a picture of health. Okay, I'm already older than Jesus was when he died. Most of us are. Was he wealthy? No, he was, he was a peasant. His parents were peasants. They brought him to the temple. I had to give the bare minimum offering because they were not people of money. Health, wealth, prosperity. Now, Jesus did come that we would have life and have it abundantly. But that's not according to material standards. That's according to heavenly standards. Jesus had the kind of health, wealth, and prosperity that mattered. They're just not worldly. We want to live in a worldly fashion and then receive heavenly blessing, and that's not what the Bible gives us. We need to get clear. Do we need to live and die as Jesus lived and died? And the scriptural answer is yes. So we need to know the character of Jesus that it might be a part of who we are as well. So this spirit is going to make Jesus quick in understanding and the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes or reprove after the hearing of his ears. Well, that's strange. How do you make your way through life if you're not trusting your eyes and ears? You ever, you ever heard that saying, don't trust your lying eyes? That's usually used as kind of like a, a mockery, just like it's plain to see. We can all see it. It's obviously the truth. Uh, don't trust your lying eyes. We're going to tell you to do what goes again. But that's exactly what the scripture says. Don't trust your lying eyes. Your eyes and ears, your feelings cannot be depended on. Your senses can't be depended on. Well, if you can't depend on those, well, what do you depend on? With righteousness, he will judge the poor. We determine how we live, not based on what we see and hear, but what on righteousness dictates. How do we know what righteousness dictates? What does what does the Lord require of you? How do you know what the Lord expects of you? Do you just guess? Uh, read your Bible, says Vicky. Is Vicky wrong? Oh, that's so legalistic, though. Surely it's not as simple as just reading your Bible and doing what it says, right? You can tell I'm being a devil's advocate quite literally there. It really is that simple. Read your Bible. Don't do what it says not to do. Do what it says to do. Well, what if it feels wrong? Well, your feelings are wrong, so that's okay. What if you really want to do something else? What then? Well, get over it. I, I think, man, I really wish the phrase get over it was somewhere in the Bible. I would quote it all the time. But so much of the Bible really does tell us, I mean, if you want to, uh, what the Bible says is deny yourself. What the Bible says is repent. Okay, those are better words anyway. But they tell us don't trust your feelings. Don't don't lead your life by what seems right to you, what's right in your own eyes. Rather, do what righteousness dictates. Simple enough. 
Um, it talks about the power of words. With righteousness he shall judge the poor, reprove with equity the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. You remember when Jesus comes again in glory, where is, where is his sword? It's in his mouth. The mouth is where words come out of, right? It's saying that there is power in the words that not just Jesus says, but if we live like him, we say words that are powerful. If you've read Revelation, you remember in Jerusalem, God plants two witnesses that are speaking, but the power of their words is fire and it burns the enemies of God, right? Our words have tremendous power, power to do good and power to do ill. With the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked, it says. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And then it talks about how his rule as king changes nature. So whenever there's a hungry wolf next to a lamb in our world, what happens? Wolf gets dinner, right? Doesn't even think about it. Instantly gets dinner. It says here, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, not eat him. The leopard will lie down with the kid. Not eat him. The calf and the young lion and fatling together and a little child shall lead them. It goes on. It says the rules of nature will be interrupted. Lions are going to learn to eat straw. Their digestive systems are going to change so that nature no longer depends on death and destruction, but all can live peaceably alongside one another. This, this, a lot of people just say, oh, this is just metaphor. I don't think so. I think that in Christ's new kingdom... The kingdom of peace, the Hebrew word is shalom, the, the kingdom of shalom, there will be perfect peace. There will not be any destruction anymore. Last week we had the prophecy, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. You remember, there's not going to be any warfare among humans. Well, remember, in the very beginning of creation, Genesis 1 and 2, God made everything perfect. And in his perfect creation, nobody stole or killed or destroyed there was no death or destruction what we're talking about here is when the messiah comes to bring god's kingdom the original creation is going to be restored not just humanity but all of creation will be restored to its original intent what we're living in right now is a perversion of creation if we love the world and how it you know how you know how people say oh death is just part of life it's a circle of life that's Lion King theology. That's not biblical theology. God does not like death. Death is evidence of the imperfection of this creation. Whenever Jesus' friend Lazarus died, Jesus did not say, oh, it's just a part of life, circle of life. This is a he wept, and then he kicked death in the teeth. That's the Lord we have. He has power over death. He will someday defeat the forces of darkness, sin, and death forever. That's the Lord we serve. I hope somebody's hearing this with new ears today. I hope some, somebody's going, I have misunderstood. My God is more powerful than I thought before. That kingdom is going to be so alien and different to this realm. There's more to be said, but we've got three other readings and communion. So we're going we're gonna to move along. I want you to hold on to these ideas I've given you. Uh, or that, excuse me, that the Bible has given us. I want to take myself out of the equation here. God is speaking to us through his word. Are we listening? Our psalm this morning is Psalm 72, found on page 795 of your hymnal.
All right, I'll sing this through once. We're doing response one, and then we'll sing it immediately again so that y'all can know how it goes. I will give you as a light to the nations, my salvation to the ends of the earth. All right, so she played bomb, 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 and then we sing, I will give you. All right, let's do that. I will give you as a light to the nations, my salvation to the ends of the earth. Give the king your justice, O God. And your righteousness to the royal sons. May he judge your people with righteousness. And your with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound Till the moon be no more. I will give you as a light to the nations, my salvation to the ends of the earth. May his foes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. And saves the lives of the needy. I will give you as a light to the nations, my salvation to the ends of the earth. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. And may they blossom forth in the cities like the grass of the field. May people bless themselves by him. All nations call him blessed. Bum, bum, bum. I will give you as a light to the nations. My salvation to the ends of the earth. So this psalm is, is obviously a blessing of the prophetic future king, Jesus. And all of these blessings also describe his character. So his reign shall be one of peace and abundance, right? There's going to be 
uh, not just good things for the land. We've talked about how nature will be shifted. There's no need for drought or natural disaster anymore. But also the, the kind of um, ruler that he is. Let me ask you this. Is this realm a time that benefits the poor and needy? Or are we living in a realm that benefits the powerful and rich? This realm. This realm appeals to the powerful and rich. God's realm, the kingdom of shalom and peace, will give peace to the poor and the needy. God will, whenever it says judge them, the Hebrew word is mishpat, he will give them justice. He will give them uh, the good things. He will reverse their status. So here in this world, the poor and needy are taken advantage of. Now, I am not an anti-capitalist. I believe that capitalism works when done right. And yes, I know it's, uh, we get irritated with people saying, oh, it's just never done right before. But the thing is, just because one person is getting rich does not necessarily mean that they're taking money from someone else. That's not necessarily how it works. But we do live in a world where lots of people prey on the poor and needy. I was reading an article yesterday on how all of the uh, COVID measures that were implemented by our government and other governments took money from poor people and gave it to rich people in the amount of $11 trillion. It's the biggest wealth transfer that this world has ever seen. And I think it was crooked. Uh, I, I could speak more diplomatically about it, but this makes me angry. This makes me angry. I don't think that God is okay with the rich getting richer on the backs of poor people getting poorer. I don't think it's wrong for rich people to get richer and poor people to get richer. That's ideal. I want that. But whenever people are preying on one another, that's a bad deal. And the, the other thing in the media recently gets me angry is this uh, uh, Sam Bakeman Freed. Anybody read about this guy? Billions of dollars. Huge Ponzi scheme. Donated at all kinds of globalist, leftist stuff. They benefit. It's based on nothing. It's based on nothing. I don't know that he's even going to get punished for it. That's money that came out of people of, of middle and lower class trying to invest in crypto exchange that, that will get their families. He doesn't care about that. The, poor, the rich have never cared about the poor. No, I shouldn't say that. Erase that. There are rich people that care about poor people. But historically, when you look at those who have power and resources and those who don't, the ones who have, typically across history, do not care about the humanity of the poor. There have been rich people over time that have used their wealth for the benefit of the poor. Jesus likes those people. That's what the Bible says to be. That has happened. If you are a, per a person of wealth, that's your job. This is one of the ways that you were supposed to be like Jesus. Jesus had heavenly power. He used it for the good of others. If you have worldly power, you use it for the good of others. Um, so there's that. And just so that we're on the same page, verse 2, may, uh, this is the psalm we just read. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice, right? Um, verse 4, may he defend the cause of the poor people, give deliverance to the needy, crush the oppressor. Hopefully everything I just lifted up. Part of the pastor is a, uh, pastor's job is applying what we read here to the world we live in. The Bible works in categories that we have today. There are still rich and poor, powerful and powerless, and I am not a Marxist. I do not believe the state should get involved and take from others and redistribute to others. I, I don't think that ever works or is right, but I do think Christians of our own volition 
our own choice, have to use our power, our resources for the good of others. That's something that we should especially be praying and thinking about in the season of Advent. That's why it's pointing us to this. The other thing it points us to this in this is the coming of the nations. You know, I will send you as a light to the nations. He's talking, this is a prophecy about Jesus who came as a light to the nations and all the nations from Tarshish, Seba, Sheba, they will bring all they have into the Lord's house. This is found all over the Old Testament. This is what I was talking about a little while ago, how Christ in his promised coming brings not just the kingdom, not just justice for the poor, but he welcomes the Gentiles, you and me, in. Can anybody say thanks be to God? All right, let's read some more. We've got our third reading. Hey, I'm sorry for all the noise my kids are making in the back. We could only have one. Um, I, I should explain this. We only have one nursery worker today, and our church has a policy that children should never be alone with just one adult. So if we don't have two adults to run the nursery, then we have one adult just doing their best to wrangle them in the back. And your, your pastor's kids are maniacs. So uh, it is what it is. Um, I, I appreciate these well-behaved kids up here putting mine to shame, but if they lose it all of a sudden, that's great. They're in good company with my kids. So, all right, uh, that was a unhelpful interlude, maybe. But let's. Uh, we got our, a reading from Romans, so I'd invite that that reader to come forward. Our third reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapter 15, verses 4 through 13, which you can find on page 1601 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and loud him, all ye people. And again, Esaias saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Hopefully you heard a lot of those themes. It quoted Isaiah saying, uh, A root will come from the, rod of Je or, uh, the, the stump of Jesse. Did you hear that? And then it quoted a number of scriptures saying that the Gentiles would be welcomed into the covenant community. Um, if you didn't catch that, just take your bulletin home and read over these things. There's a lot of recurring themes from Old Testament to New. It's because it's all part of God's true word. Um, the thing that I would uh, focus on to add on to this is um, this exhortation in verse 5. Uh, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to... Christ Jesus. When uh, like-minded is the key word there. What's it mean when you are like-minded with somebody? You're thinking in the same. You have the same mind. You're alike. You're thinking alike. So let me let me ask you, does Christ call you to be a, a different special snowflake that's unlike anybody else on earth, or does he call you to be 
like-minded with other believers and with Christ himself? I set it up so the answer is obvious. And a lot of people don't agree with me. A lot of people say, oh, diversity is our strength. You know, maybe when it comes to government or other organizations, but within the, the body of Christ, our strength is our uniformity, our unity in Christ Jesus, being like-minded. That ye may with one mind, I'm quoting again, this is verse 6, with one mind and one mouth glorify God. Our call in life is not to go our own way, do what's right in our own eyes, our job is to repent and walk in the way that has been set out for us. And remember, Jesus talked about uh, the way is broad and easy that leads to destruction. There are many who take it. The way is narrow and difficult that leads to salvation. And there are few who find it. We're the ones on that straight and narrow way. It's hard, and it re requires that we are like-minded. We're going to come together around the table here in a minute, uh, after the service of the word, we're going to have the service of the table. And around that, we also confess the same faith. We eat of the same loaf. We drink of the same wine. It's about being one in Christ. And we live in a time of great division in the church. We live in a time right now where a lot of churches are talking about disaffiliating from the United Methodist Church. We're having that conversation right now. So how do we do that on the one hand? And then talk about unity and read these scriptures about unity on the other. So, and a lot of you know that, that I've, I've been having this conversation very publicly and I'm very sympathetic with those who want to disaffiliate. But as we have this conversation, we need to do so with the Bible in our hands. And, and I'm still coming down on one side. If you've talked to me privately, you know where I come down on this. But even so, we should never take a position without consulting our Bibles. Now, even as we step back from that, and we're just looking at how we do church here, how are we going to be one-minded if we don't know each other, if we don't spend time together? I love when I hear about y'all going out to dinner together without me. I love when you invite me, but I can't come. Y'all go out to dinner together. Y'all are with each other in each other's homes, your friends on Facebook. I see you talk to each other and wish each other happy birthday. I want more of that. God wants more of that. We should be like-minded. We should have common identity in Christ. That doesn't just magically happen. That's what happens over Christian fellowship. That's why I urge you to come early before worship and visit. That's why I urge you to stay late and visit. That's why we do the potlucks so that you can sit and visit around the table. Uh, all of this is so that we can actually do what we've been told in the scriptures. But I don't think we can be of one heart and mind if we're not actually actively trying to get to know and be known. Let's move on. Uh, hymn number 202 we did for the first time last week. And I, I, uh, I told you that historically Christians have anticipated that Christ will return in the east. And that's why in, in cemeteries people are buried east-west so they can rise to meet Christ in the air like in 1 Thessalonians. We uh, left the Delaware breakfast yesterday and Abigail fell asleep in the van and we... We needed to cruise for a bit. We just needed to let her sleep. So we drove all around town, and we went over to the cemetery. And Susanna looked out and said, oh, they're all facing east to meet Jesus in the air. And I was like, man, I love, as a kid, I never paid attention to my parents' sermons at all. But, um, yeah, go out to the cemetery. See how they're all oriented. And uh, let's orient our lives accordingly. Hymn number 202, People Look East. Our final reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, which you can find on page 1339 of your pew Bibles, listen again to the word of God. In those days came John the Baptist, 
preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, raiment means clothing, right? And a leathern girdle around his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers. Does this sound nice? This is the opposite. No culture likes snakes. Anyway, this is an, this is an insult. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Meat means fitting with. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth forth not, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, and cast into the fire. Do you think he's talking about Jesus coming back and being a logger? This is a metaphor. What's the, what, what does the tree stand for in this metaphor? Us, people. Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. So we already got the first metaphor about the trees. So if everybody is a fruit tree, what are you bearing fruit for? If it doesn't fit with repentance, you're going to get cut down and thrown into the fire. Does that sound nice? Is John saying nice words here? Okay. Yeah, the kids are saying it. No, these are not nice words. These are mean words. These are hurtful words. You better believe this offended people. He's attacking them directly. Who told you to come, you brood of vipers? You don't belong here. Now tie this, I'm not going to talk much about it, but this is how the Jews would have seen the Gentiles. They are not invited. Why are they trying to come? Well, Jesus invited us. You know, so we need to remember that, that according to the Romans' language, uh, we have been grafted in to God's tree. If you know about grafting, there's a lot of agricultural language. The other agricultural language here has to do with um, harvesting wheat. They talked about how his fan is in his hand. In ancient agricultural societies, you would cut down the wheat, but the wheat is in the corn, and you have to separate it from the chaff. And the way you do that is you go to the, the, the floor, the wooding floor. Huh? Threshing floor, thank you. And you have your fan, you're creating this wind, and you throw it up in the air, and either the wind takes it away, or you got your fan, and that's how you separate the wheat and the chaff. And that's what it's saying Jesus, the Messiah, is doing. He is separating the wheat and the chaff, the good and the bad, to, to the wheat, the good ones. Hopefully us, we get, the wheat is gathered into the garner, the, the, the storage place. What happens with the chaff? It's burned with unquenchable fire. So this is metaphor, but it's not hard to understand. Humans are... Uh, wheat or chaff, 
good trees or bad trees, there is a final judgment coming. It won't go well for the wicked. So what is the standard for who makes it and who doesn't? There are two, two important things. One is, what is the one thing that we can focus on and say, this is what saves us? What is the thing that saves us? Well, Christ did what is needed for our salvation, but not everyone is going to be saved. So what is the thing that attaches you and me to what Christ did on the cross? What is that? Faith. Yeah, Suzanne is hollering it from the back. Faith is what attaches us, connects us to what Christ did on the cross. It's faith alone that saves. However, when you have that faith, it bears fruit. And that's what he's talking about here. Bear fruit, meet for repentance. Your life should be bearing fruit. And what does that look like? We looked at a number of scriptures today that talk about the kind of fruit that Jesus bears, King Jesus bears. We should be bearing that same fruit. If you haven't already been moved to it, you need to be thinking about your neighbors, people in your realm that are poor and needy and what you can be doing for them. You need to be, your mind needs to be directed towards, out, towards others. You need to be right with God. You need to have that saving faith. And then that faith should direct you towards others. If you are not generating that fruit, then, uh, well, the ax is at the root of the tree. And one day you're going to get cut down and what's going to happen to you? That's the sober meditation for Advent. And I, I'm not the originator of this. Who said this? John the Baptist. He's the one. You brood of vipers. Who told you to come? There's a judgment coming. You're going to get burned unless you bear this fruit. And that fruit can only be borne by saving faith. So he didn't say the saving faith, but you have to connect different parts of the Bible. But just because you do good things, you know, this is what leads to works righteousness. And we need to be very clear. Can I earn my way into salvation? No. Can I do enough good work so that God goes, hey, you earned your place in here. Get on in. No. No matter how much good I do, nothing is good outside of the faith of Christ Jesus. And so I have to be right with God first, and that always results in bearing fruit. And we believers can't do one or the, we can't do, I have faith, you have works, or vice versa. Faith and works.